Welcome to the Honor Roll Podcast, the podcast that helps you level up your role-playing game. Tabletop, LARP, mush, and everything in between. We're not better gamers than you, we just all have different experiences to share. And maybe we can help you have more fun at your game, because the only way to win at a role-playing game is to have fun. Have fun. I'm Ryan, I'm the curmudgeon, and joining me as always is Carrie the Legend. Yay! And Jason the Favorite. Hello. Hey, you want to hear my fortune cookie? Yes. <laughs> to love deeply in one direction makes us more loving in all others. I love one direction. Oh. That was a different we direction you were going to go, but yeah. okay. All right. I, I thought yeah. you were, that was going to go dirty. I'm proud of you. Good times. Yeah. Good times. I mean, that was my intention, but. Yeah. Mine. <laughs> all right. Well, for those of you who are just joining us, hi. <laughs> For everybody else, we'd like to tell you about our Patreon. Oh my gosh. So, uh, we, we, so you guys may not know this, but we do a podcast. What? And the way that we uh, pay the bills on the podcast is uh, we have a Patreon. And so you can go to patreon.com slash podcast. And uh, once you're there, you can become a patron and uh, pledge to, you know, to pay just a little bit of money every month to or help. A lot, or a lot of money if you want. You We're, we will not tell you no. That is true. And, uh, and if you do so, you will get a shout out on the podcast and, uh, uh, we'll, you know, roast one of your characters if you like, and we do all sorts of fun stuff. You can get prints postcards. and books and postcards and stuff. Yeah. So, uh, and we're about to start season four, which means new postcards coming. Mm-hmm. So that's exciting. I think we may even, uh, be throwing some other new things into the mix. Too. Other new things. I know. Exciting. Yeah. So anyway, all of this is coming up, but this is our last episode of season three. So tell us. We're so old. Tell us who our patrons are. All right. I'm just going to real quick go through the list. Okay. Okay. We have Josh Heath with Werewolf the Podcast. We have Chris Pastelnik with Corpses and Curios. Who's new? Yay. Yay. We have Joel Eastland. We have Celine Halabi. We have Ryan Martin. We have Drew Stevens. Ryan Galeato of Byways LARPs. We have Noah Coltrip. What about Noah Coltrip? I'm glad you asked. This week, Noah Coltrip is visiting the small church. The small church is located in Wytheville, Virginia. Dedicated in 2010, Wytheville's small church came about from an experience its founder had. Its founder's name was Brian Wolford. He had a, a experience at a, another tiny church located in Georgia. After realizing how close he felt to God in such a tiny space, he decided to craft his own small church. It's more than just unusual, though. It's 12 foot by 16 foot. And there's an intention of providing a, a place of peace and solace to anyone who passes by, so this church certainly seems to fulfill its mission. We hope that Noah has a great time in this small, small church. That's just weird. 
You know, of all the ones, I think I've heard of this one. <laughs> really? I think I have. I don't remember for sure. Maybe. Well, where was it? Wifesville? Wifeville, Virginia. Wifeville. At least it was, it was. I thought it was plural. So it's a singular wife. Why? Or, or as they say in Wifeville. 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 All right. Hmm. And then we, last but not least, we have the patron saint of the podcast, Sarah. All right. Well, if you'd like to get a shout out on the podcast and maybe get some free stuff too, you can do so at patreon.com slash honorroll podcast. When last we left our intrepid adventurers, I don't know what we were doing because it was like a long time ago. Oh, we've had a big break this time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we had a lot of, uh, a lot of things happen in, in life. That has kept us away, but we back. But also, to be fair, life has happened to everyone else, too. That like, is true. It has been cr- a crazy year for everyone. Yeah. So uh, so we're back, uh, sitting at this table. Jason's on Zoom. We're recording a podcast. And so I figure, let's see what Jason's been up to. Oh, well, you know what? I've been getting into uh, reading a lot of old school, what do they call it? Old school role-playing games, OSR games. Yeah. I haven't played any yet, uh, but I read uh, Dungeon Call Classics, and I'm reading Five Torches Deep, and I've read a couple of mini games. I don't remember their names off the top of my head right now. Uh, There's just some interesting design choices in those games. Uh, They're less... So one of the things that bothers me about a lot of more modern role-playing games like uh, Fifth Ed and some of the, the new vampire stuff is that everything is kind of like pat. It's not messy at all. It is very clear cut because it's designed to be uh, run in a very clear cut way. Right? right. Everybody has the same expectation when they come to the table because the rules are very explicit and older stuff was not explicit. It was very messy. Uh, the worlds didn't necessarily make a lot of sense because they were a little random and how the, whatever the person was thinking at the time, that's what they wrote down. And I kind of miss that at times. I like, (laughs) well, no, because the real world doesn't make sense. People do things for reasons that are unknowable because they're motivated by like this, you know, internal struggles and issues that, uh, get expressed in weird ways and make it look like that there's some reason big historical uh, changes happen. But sometimes it's because a guy went out to get a sandwich, you know, and <laughs> right. You know, it, just something weird and random like that. And newer systems, they remove a lot of that randomness. And sometimes I like it. Uh, and I'm interested in ways of creating and playing and running games that take the good parts of that chaos and that uh, requirement that you kind of think on your feet to games that are more pat and better designed in a lot of ways. Sure. Not that Dungeon Crawl Classic is poorly designed. It's just designed in a very specific goal in mind. Right. And that's not always what I want. I want to be able to take the best parts of both of them. Now that's Dungeon, Dungeon Crawl Classics is the one where you make like six characters and, and, the very first night you play all six and you see which one die, which one lives. Right. In fact, one of the things it talks about in the book is that uh, it's a design feature that starting characters have almost no belongings because by the time you're done going through the big funnel dungeon where like 90% of the party dies, you'll have plenty of stuff. Right. Right. <laughs> 
And then I, I love that uh, they've got that thing too where um, uh, if you don't want to run the funnel, you can buy like a packet of like, it's like a hundred character sheets and they've all got scratch offs. So you don't know yeah. what, what the numbers are. You scratch them off and. I'm okay with that. That sounds great. Yeah. It's super uh, fun. <laughs> there's, there's, I don't know. There's kind of a romantic notion to uh, playing, you know, rolling your stats three to six straight down. You get mm-hmm. what you get. Right. Yeah. And uh, that's something that like at the time I didn't see how fun that could be. <laughs> The last game I played with like like that was probably man. It's over 14, 15 years ago. It was Hackmaster, and the my favorite character I ever played in there. All my stats were terrible. The only class I qualified for was Thief because <laughs> I didn't have the stats to play anything else. Jeez. And uh, it, I played that character for a long time, and I had a great time doing it. And then eventually, I was eaten by spiders. But I was the last one in the party to die. And you know what? <laughs> if you've got to go, that's a good yeah. way to go. Oh yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. Well, it was right. my fault. I should have never went to a, a dungeon that was supposed to be a challenge. It was just <laughs> stuck making the other player characters' lives more interesting. Sure. All right. What about you, Ryan? What have you been up to? Oh, so kind of a lot. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the last the last whole season really because of COVID. Uh, my answer has been work, I've been working work. right. Well, this time I have something interesting. I've been quitting. What? <laughs> oh, that definitely happened. What? Yep. So I have I have quit my job. Well, you put in your two weeks. I put in my two weeks notice. So it's it's not over yet. But uh, yeah, February second will be my last day, and uh, um, and February third is my first day. <laughs> Someplace else. <laughs> Essentially, you're going to be a freelancer, right? Yes. Yeah. So I'm moving to a freelance structure where I'll be freelancing for a, uh, um, a marketing firm, and uh, I'll be doing. I'll, I'll have three clients that I'll work with, and uh, one is a uh, one's a liquor store. So that one's kind of fun. Mm-hmm. We've uh, already reaped the benefits of that one. <laughs> no, we have not. We haven't. Uh, we haven't because the the owners no discounts. <laughs> but, but no <laughs> discounts. <laughs> um, and uh, uh, the second, the second one is uh, like a, a financial firm. Uh, they do like home equity loans, and then the the third one is actually nursing homes. That's the biggest one. Uh, but that's okay. It's okay though, because actually this nursing home one is going to be really fun and exciting because it's not going to be just uh, um, where like I'm at now. I'm kind of just doing basic collateral and some crisis communication and all of the social media. But at the new place, I'm going to be in charge of all of their marketing and I'm going to be in charge of uh, creating a corporate brand for them because they don't have one. And also, yeah. And and that's your strength actually. And the other thing, this is the thing I'm really excited about is I'm also going to be in charge of all their internal communications uh, because they need to create a corporate culture because they don't have one. And so that one, okay. that's kind of cool. That's kind of exciting to help a company kind of figure out what's it supposed to feel like to work for us. You know, that's, that's, uh, that'll be fun. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited about that. So yeah, so things have, things have been uh, kind of exciting. Well, let me tell you about something that we talk about at work that might help you in this situation. The saying is two week notice. I'm going to give you two day notice. I'm dragging this bitch today. <laughs> No, I had to. I had to do two weeks' notice. That way, my last day was the was in into the month of February. That way, my insurance lasts till March. <laughs> <laughs> hey, 
you don't have any vacation days, do you? You could like take them all out. At the, oh, I have four bump over. I have fourteen days of vacation that I will just get a check for. Oh, okay. Which I was is, thinking maybe you could somehow manipulate it so you got one day into March. No, no, but you know what? A a, a check for fourteen days is pretty awesome. Yeah, you know that's so. nice. It'll help. Yeah. All right. What have you been up to, Carrie? Support my husband as he's getting this new job. <laughs> well, yeah. I'm I'm very thankful that you uh, stretched out your my insurance your insurance because uh, I've got some medical stuff going on. Not COVID this time, but that's been kind of crazy and makes right. me feel old. Yeah. Uh, well, that, yeah. That is the nature of, of being in our forties. Yep, I know. Um, but besides that, I've been. Working on all of my commission list, I finally got I finally got that artwork out to Noah, so that's good. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and um, I've been working on two different role playing game art stuff. Nice. Um, and neither I, of them are the gum belt. And neither of them are the gum belt. The gum belt kind of like. Yeah, I, th- I think that while. that game has died. I don't know what's up with that. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> I will murder you. Um, so I've been, I, I'm actually halfway through the cover artwork for the Byways LARP. Cool. With Ryan Galliano. Oh, I didn't know you were doing their yeah. stuff. That's cool. I'm, I'm doing the cover for, I guess, their rule book. Um, and yeah. so it's been, I'm really, I'm actually really proud of the composition of that one. Why don't you send me a picture? I'm curious to what that looks like. Okay. It's on my Discord. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> um, and then I've been doing, I've got all of the art kind of figured out to be start doing the wood block cuts for Devil Dice Island. I don't want to say anything until we've actually done with everything. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like the, that's the theme, our theme song that, tonight. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Forever. What you mind? Yeah. Right. <laughs> so I've been doing all that stuff, but on the flip side, for that kind of stress, I've had good stress because we're getting ready to have a puppy. No. No. <laughs> Puppies are good. I'm very excited. Yeah. Um. So the puppy comes on Saturday. And I have been um, obsessing nonstop since yesterday over all of the Bernie memes. Right. Oh, the Bernie memes have been great. Like, I I haven't been able to get anything done because every time I walk by, my computer is flashing a new one and I have to stop. Right. I I don't think I've ever given as many heart clicks (laughs) as I have on Facebook today. Sure. I'm going to say that the my favorite one is the first one I sent you of the... uh, the, the ghost scene. Yeah. Where he's doing the pottery. But it's That's the my mitten. It's the mitten coming around. You're like, yeah, no. The mitten around. That's a good one. I also, I really like the, the skyscraper lunch one. That's the old 1950s yeah. photo yes, from New York good. City. That's a good one. Um, so. d- uh, uh, my friend Dave Bruno just sent me one that was a Bob Ross painting. Nice. That mm-hmm. was really cute. If you're, if oh, I saw it, a TikTok where a guy took that picture and he put it on a big piece of plywood and cut it out, right? And then, painted, you know, hand-painted Bernie sitting there. And so he's propping it up different places. Oh, that's wonderful. That's great. Yeah. I awesome. love how much joy that's bringing everyone. Like, yeah. it's yeah. it's not a mean joy. It's just joyous. And I love that. Yeah. yeah. This old guy wore mittens. <laughs> Hilarious. It's great. <laughs> right? It's kind of silly. But those mittens, are, those mittens, though. Have their own story. Those mittens. Oh. <laughs> 
<laughs> All right. Well, let's, uh, I, I guess, is that, I don't know, it's been so long. Is that everything we do in our intro? Yeah. Sure. Okay. Sure. There we go. More than enough. All right. Well, then, <laughs> let's go to combat rounds. <laughs> All right, we're back. Not that we didn't actually go anywhere. Well, I mean, for those of you just joining us, hi. Oh, I went somewhere. <laughs> All right, welcome to Combat Rounds. Uh, so tonight, for our final episode of season three, can you guys believe we've done this three seasons? Yeah, it's crazy. It only took us five years. I can't believe that we had so much. I, I just never thought that we were so opinionated. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, I didn't that's, doubt it for a second. No. Yeah, I didn't either. Have you not heard me on the Werewolf Podcast? <laughs> no, I don't listen. I, I, yeah, I know. I don't I know. listen. No, I no, 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 no. That's yeah. I don't. I don't listen to that because I don't. I'm not a fan of one of the hosts. Hey, to be fair, one of the hosts talks a lot of shit about you, and I don't know if I, I know. <laughs> I know. I keep. That's why I don't like Josh. No, it's funny. I was, was obvious. I was telling Carrie earlier. So everybody should go listen to the Werewolf the podcast. It's pretty fun. But like I was telling Carrie, it's funny because they they're reviewing all the books in the Werewolf the Apocalypse line. And I told her earlier that basically it's Josh telling everybody how excited he was because it was a werewolf book. Yay! And then Carrie telling Josh why it sucked. <laughs> <laughs> That's you know, not- it's really not true. But well, I was going to say, it's not true. We both were really upset with the Rackham right. book. So it's, it, it's was, not true, but it's not not true. <laughs> I, I'm just going to say, this reminds me of every time y'all try to get me to watch a Star Trek series. Look, <laughs> three of the 20 episodes were really good. And that's how y'all are about the werewolf books. <sighs> yeah. Well, you know what? It's because we truly thought Discovery had come around. It did till the end. And then right at the end, they were like, nope. But I mean, y'all like, there's this one book in Werewolf that is really great and about 10 pages spread over 50 books that are amazing. Right. Dude, there's aliens. Shut up. In Yeah, in Werewolf, there should be. No. Like, in White Wolf, there's aliens. There's a bunch. Yeah. I'm saying there is. And apparently they like algae. <sighs> algae? Algae. I don't, I don't know that one. I'm just saying. All right, well. I'm, I feel like the crazy... Uh, alien conspiracy guy it was aliens <laughs> like every time i read a werewolf book now that's all i'm finding <laughs> aliens so tonight uh i guess to to sort of wrap up our last this this i, start, I keep wanting to say our last season it's not our last season I know. it's our, the our last season yeah <laughs> anyway so to, you guys want to tell me right to wrap up season three uh we're gonna talk about the hero's journey what's that i don't know Okay. Jason. And we've talked about this sort of thing obliquely right. before, but yeah, so you want to get it straight on. Well, the big thing is uh, we've talked about story structure before. We've done a whole, at least one whole episode on story structure. I don't know everything. Maybe many, together. many more. But we've done a show that where we kind of broke it into like sim- simple, super simple terms. We talked about like just beginnings and middles and ends and those, you know, climaxes and, and those sort of things. Uh, but like, Tonight, we're going to talk about the, the hero's journey. And the hero's journey is uh, sometimes also called the monomyth structure. Mm-hmm. There's a guy named Joseph Campbell 
who created this thing called the Hero's Journey. And he didn't really create it so much as recognize it and put labels on and names on it. Uh, but basically, he looked at mythology. The first contributor to TV tropes. Right. He looked at mythology over over the centuries and millennia and, uh, you know, looked for the things like in the greatest stories, what were the common sort of uh, thematic elements. And he broke it down into uh, a series of, you know, like an outline. And then in the late 80s and early 90s, there was a guy named Christopher Vogler and uh, Christopher Vogler sort of was hired by Disney to take that structure and create basically like a writing Bible. So every script that came out of Disney in the, the 80s and 90s followed basically the monomyth structure and, and uh, it kind of popularized amongst like screenwriters and things as the hero's journey. But uh, the important thing of note is that it is an outline for uh, how to construct a perfect story and the reason it works is because it works. <laughs> Right. Like, like the reason they were able, the reason you can do this with so many stories is because it actually works. And when you apply it to all of the greatest stories of, of our modern time, it works. Right. Right. And so it's 12 steps. Uh, it's typically, it's a three act structure. Uh, but the, the cool thing about it is that not every story has to have all 12 steps. They don't have to be in order. And, uh, um, you know, but you'll, you'll find the themes, you know, throughout all stories. So how does this apply to role-playing games and, and storytelling? Uh, so before we had started recording this sh show, you had mentioned something ab about it that I think is important to note for people who want to use this for their role-playing yeah, games. As a storyteller, you cannot force your players to do this. Like you can lay out all the steps and they're all still going to go to Walmart, even though Walmart has nothing to do with what you've set up. Well, Christopher Vogler actually identifies Walmart as Shut step up. six. <laughs> <laughs> Tests allies and enemies. <laughs> I mean, maybe. Right. But. So this is one of those things where this is not as definitive in a role-playing game as like when we talk about beginnings and middles and ends, because those are things that are really easy to sort of force right. into your game and onto your players. But you're right. You can't choose when one of your characters is playing Luke Skywalker. You can't force that player to have Luke... Uh, you know, go to Tashi Station and pick up power converters. Or not go. Or not go. Right. So, um, but this is one of those things where uh, it's important as a storyteller, as a dungeon master, as a game master, to actually understand this because it will help you tell better stories. But for a role-playing game, it's also important to note that you are not going to be able to nail all 12 steps in your games because you can't control your players. Or at least not in the order they are. Right. Right. So, um, so why don't you go through them basically so that uh, people will know exactly what you're talking about? Okay. So I guess it'll be easiest to just do the 12 and then we could talk about like a movie or a story that we're all familiar with that uses them. Mm. Is that so, okay. all right. So the first step is the ordinary world. Uh, and the idea is the ordinary world is where we sort of see, uh, the, the main character, the hero or the protagonist and what their life is like normally. Right. Okay. And the second step is called adventure, which is where somebody comes to them and says, says, oh no, there's a dragon. Somebody's got to go kill it. Help me, help me. Right. And the refusal of the call is step three, which is where they say, yeah, but I, I don't know that I want to go fight a dragon. I'm just a humble tailor. <laughs> right, right, right. right. Uh, step four is meeting the mentor. Uh, and then that is the step where... Uh, you know, usually it's like the, the the elder father figure sort of says, 
no, it, it, you have to do this. It's Go your, fight the dragon. It's your destiny. Or uh, It's also the, called the Obi-Wan step. Right. <laughs> uh, step five is crossing the threshold, and this is where they actually begin the journey. They leave their ordinary world, and they cross that threshold into adventure. Uh, test six is tests allies and enemies. So Walmart. this is... This is the Walmart step. Uh, in all honesty, this is actually like the where the hero sort of begins to learn what the new world is like, uh, what the rules of the adventure are. Uh, it's when they meet their sidekick. Sure. It's when they uh, first meet maybe the the bad guy. Uh, it's the bad guys. Um, you know, they first really he catches his first glimpse of that dragon. Mm-hmm. Can can I sidebar for absolutely? A second? All right, so. Jason hasn't heard the story yet, but I'm going to make Ryan tell it really quickly. Oh, what happened at Walmart? So I went to Walmart the other night and I was at the cash register. And the register that I was at was right across from the men's room. You know, they've got the bathrooms at the front of the like store. Yeah. So I'm right. right. At, so my cash register is right in front of the men's room, but there is a buggy turned upside down, blocking the entry to the men's room. So it's closed. Making you assume that you're not supposed to go there. Yes. Right. So this guy, uh, walks up. He's kind of a, a little bit like uh, gruff, you know, probably has a truck with a gun. And uh, um, and so he walks up and he sees the basket and then he looks at, at my cashier and he says, why is there a basket there? And my cashier, who is like 12, yeah. he, he goes, he goes, well, the bathroom's closed. And the guy says, well, what do you closed? Well, what do you, what do you mean closed? He says, so why is it closed? So the cashier looks right at him and he says, something bad happened in that place. <laughs> then the guy says something bad. What do you mean? What happened in there? And the kid goes, I don't know, but it was bad. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. Oh, that's bad. So now every time we go to Walmart, we're like, something bad happened. Something bad happened to that place. (laughs) All right, so uh, the next one is the approach to the innermost cave. And this is the part where uh, the hero kind of, he's got his first plan, and he's ready to go take on the central conflict, you know, the main, he's ready to go attack the main bad guy. Mm -hmm. Uh, There are setbacks there, and uh, they may have to try, like, something new. Uh, Step eight is the ordeal. Um, the ordeal is what we would, uh, if you were watching a movie, you'd kind of think of it as like the first climax of the movie, mm-hmm. right? Uh, it's kind of the the point uh, where like they they attempt, they make a run at the bad guy and it doesn't work out, right? Things go wrong and more conflict is added. Uh, and then uh, um, step nine is the reward, okay? And the reward is when after they've made it through the ordeal, they go back and they, you know, they get the new weapon. That's going right. to make it better next time. Uh, and then uh, step 10 is the road back, which is where they begin to, it's the montage. Woo! Like step, step 10 is when they're ready to, to make the next run at the bad guys. So they've, they get prepared. They're about to face more, more tests and more challenges. And then they get to step 11. Uh, they call it the resurrection, but step 11 is really ultimately the main climax of the story. Uh, it's when they face the final battle uh, using everything they've got and and finish it once and for all. And then the last step is step 12, the return. And uh, it's actually the return of the elixir. And that's like 
they have defeated the dragon, and so they are going home with the prize. You know, the elixir, the gold, whatever it is. And they are returning to their ordinary world, Mm -hmm. having uh, finished everything. So it's a little, it sounds a little complicated, uh, but I promise you, you can look at almost any movie made ever, and you can get 11 of the 12 steps in almost every one of them. I think what is what one of the most important use of this as a person who's telling a story for, you know, like a role playing game is that you give them these opportunities, first of all, and you use the stages. So something that I like to, to try to do and I've been working on lately is the idea that you the characters start out somewhere where they're comfortable and they, they understand how things work and then a problem or a need arises and they need to go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Where that you know they've left the normal world, like just like in the, the the monomyth, and then when they go to this other place, they have to deal with the problems there. You know they have their quests, they uh, they do, but then they have to come back and deal with the fact that them and their home has changed. Maybe that's because of the choices they made. Maybe it's not. You just have to figure out what parts work for which story you're telling. Right. And the interesting thing I about think this- Dan Harmon's take on it. Go ahead. Yeah, Go Dan, ahead. Dan Harmon uh, has, a, except I think Dan Harmon, he breaks it down to, I think, nine steps. Eight. Eight. I'm looking at it. Okay. But it is it is essentially the same thing, though. He just tightens right. up. He tightens up, well, combines the steps a little that's bit. That's because most of the things he tells are 30-minute sitcom type right. stories. So the the steps will be different than in a movie yeah, but yeah. but also exactly the same. Yeah, I mean, right, right. so Dan Harmon is uh, probably most fa- well. He's most famous for Rick and Morty now, yeah. but he used yes. to be most famous for the TV show Community. And if right. you think about it, Community every episode started with them sitting at the study table, yeah, which is their ordinary world. And then the dean would come in and go, "Hey, everyone, here's this conflict or problem you have to deal with." And then Jeff would say. I'm not doing that. You're stupid, Dean. He'd refuse the call, right? Mm-hmm. And then uh, one of the other characters would step up, step up as the the mentor, and be like, you know, this is just like the time when I used to play football, and this thing happened. Uh, and, and and basically, all of these steps are there in every single episode, and yeah. they're only thirty minutes long. And I think the clever part is because he refers to it as a circle because he's always trying to bring it back to the beginning every well, time. And technically part of it is that he's a sitcom writer. You so technically, that's what you do. But technically it is a circle because when you return with the elixir, you're going home to your ordinary world. Yeah. Right. And uh, one of the things I read about is he tries to apply it to every scene. And I think that you can use that in role-playing games for like uh, when they start talking to somebody uh, right at the beginning of the conversation, they should feel comfortable. They should know, you know, why they're there, what's going on. Right. And by the end of it, they should have encountered something that they didn't expect and had to adapt to it and then had to make a decision and then return with what they had from that conversation. You can even run combats the same way. You know, a, a combat should be a story in and of itself. Why, why are these people here? Why are we fighting them? Um, What's the unexpected part in the middle? What's the, the moment when it feels like maybe we're not going to succeed? What choice did we have to make to succeed? And you can just keep running these circles over and over again throughout the night. It's a little tricky to do it consciously, but it's worth practicing. Right. And the more you do it, the more you'll do it instinctively. Yeah. Right. And so and you know, 
it's not about forcing the characters to walk this path. It's about making the path available to them. So this is one of those exercises that's less about understanding how to be a storyteller for a game and more about understanding how to be a storyteller. Because if you know how to tell stories, you'll be a better dungeon master. Mm -hmm. Right. And so a lot of this is kind of like, if (laughs) you know, we always, uh, if this was a, if we were baking a cake from scratch, right? Right. This is the recipe and you learn the recipe before you start adding new ingredients to see if you can make it better. Right. You know, you would think, well, if every story is made up of these 12 steps, why is it that every single story isn't exactly the same? And there's a two-part answer to that. The first part is, surprise, every story is the same. <laughs> but the second, the second part of the answer, though, is that uh, the, the craft of storytelling is to take these 12, 12 steps, change their orders around, move them about, uh, take, you know, pick one or two, quietly slip them out and see if anyone notices. Do little things to it uh, that, where you can tweak things uh, and, and make it your own. Right. It's, it's kind of like music. There are only so many notes. Yeah. So this is a scale, right? Yeah. <laughs> no, actually, yeah, that's... Yeah. So do we want to like talk about a movie that everyone has seen to sort of just quickly kind of mm. demonstrate what what this is? I think that would work. But there's no movie like that, Ryan. Uh, every movie's like that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think Star Wars is probably the most obvious choice because it's pretty famously follows this. Yes. Yeah, so you're probably the uh, Star Wars expert more than anything. Well, the truth is that if you play a role-playing game, you've probably seen Star Wars. Right. Probably. Yeah. And so it makes a good example. And it's also a great example because uh, when George Lucas wrote Star Wars, the original film, he literally followed all 12 steps in order perfectly. Yeah. Yeah. I swear, um, he probably had the outline in front of him. He did. He did it. It was intentional. It was absolutely intentional. Um, So so the first first step is the ordinary world. Tantooine. The moisture farmers. All right, so so right, the ordinary world is Luke living around as a farm boy, and uh, you know he's hanging out on Tatooine, moisturizing, and it, and it sucks, right? Yeah. Uh, and then step the the next step is the call to adventure, right? So and what's, it's pretty blatant. You have right. a robot land, I mean that you wind up with help that has me, a literal call to adventure on it. Right. Yeah. Well, okay. First of all, it's a droid, not a robot. Wow. <laughs> wow. I'm wow. a nerd. Right, right. So R two D two shows up and uh, and is like, you know, this princess is the technically the actual call for adventure is help me Obi Wan Kenobi, you're my only hope. Right, and it's literally, right, right. it's call. literally Princess Leia calling Obi Wan and being like, Yo, old man, hey, I need to help. Right, the <laughs> adventure again. Technically, so the twist going on in Star Wars is that the call to adventure actually goes to Obi Wan Kenobi, but. Mm-hmm. Obi-Wan Kenobi then re-delivers the call to adventure to Luke and says, you must learn the ways of the force if you want to come with me to Alderaan. That's my, that's my Ben Kenobi. Oh yeah. It gets creepier every time you do it. Yeah. Yeah. Like I expected him to like eyebrow waggle at me as he was saying that, like that came across really creepy. (laughs) You have been listening to PBS. Hey Luke. (laughs) (laughs) 
So that's so he gets this call to adventure, and what's the first thing Luke do? Luke oh, does? Oh no! I can't no, do that, right? I can't do that. I gotta stay here a whole nother season. This is this is something that I read about later that's interesting in this step because they always refuse, right? But then you have to get them to cross the threshold and go do the thing, right? So you you kill the parents or the aunt and uncle, right? It's, yeah. yeah, or you kill you know you kill the person in their life that they have to stay for, right? And after I read that, I was like, holy shit! Like three quarters of the movies I've ever watched, that's the reason why they're dead. Dead. Yep. Yeah. Because uh, that way the person can refuse to call and still be a good boy, but then also have his hands clean and get to go on the adventure. Right. That's why Mufasa dies. <laughs> right. Because otherwise you can't leave. You have to I read, stay. I read a fascinating thing about Mufasa yeah. and and uh, Scar. Uh-huh. The, uh huh. The apparently lions sometimes cannibalize each other. Whoa. Yeah, and they make a big deal about how in the movie, at one point, Mufa or, or Scar has a skull when he when he's torturing uh, the bird, mm-hmm. and he's yes. got a skull in his hand, and it's a lion skull. <laughs> like you know, also isn't uh, the now I keep wanting to say the bird, can't remember his name either now. Zazu, he's yeah. in a, he's in a rib cage, uh-huh. right? Yeah, I uh, wonder. <laughs> right, but I'm just like, like I actually the the meme I saw that had that pulled up like this is what a lion skull looks like, and then they and showed the skull? cartoon skull he's holding, and it's clearly a lion skull. Wow, ah, you know, crazy. Now one of the interesting Disney's effed up. Right, the interesting play with the Lion oh, King is that uh, they trick you into believing that uh, Mufasa is Simba's mentor. Right. Like they trick you as a viewer into thinking that you've met the mentor first. Mm-hmm. But, but you haven't yet. But in actuality, what you're seeing is the ordinary world is Mufasa's mentoring his son. You know, and in actuality, the mentor ends up being Pumbaa and Timon. Timon, yeah. So, and which is another great point to make is that the mentor doesn't have to be a single person. Um, it doesn't have to be older. It doesn't even actually have to be a person. It could be the you know, an ancient tome that you discover that has the recipe for the spell you need to like, that was the case in like Buffy the Vampire Slayer every, every week. It was like, <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I think Giles, Giles kind of serves as yeah. a bit of the mentor, but yeah. So, uh, so well, the next thing is crossing the threshold. The thing that actually spurs him into the adventure is, is Baru and uncle Owen, Aunt Baru and uncle Owen are killed. Okay. Barbecue. So then we get the tests, the allies, and the enemies, right? So this is the gathering of the henchmen. This is the, um, you know, we we meet Han Solo and Chewbacca. Mm-hmm. We get a lightsaber, right? You know, get the little small mm-hmm. training re- remote to test to see if he's able to use, right. you know, to swing it. Everything that's happening there, uh, like up until the point where they, would it be when they approach the Death Star for the first time? Is that approaching the innermost cave? Yeah. Or is that tests and allies no no that's the approach to the innermost cave and and again the interesting thing about star wars is the is the cave is literal you know it's it's a cave in space it's the death star yeah right Mm -hmm. but uh but yeah the approach to the innermost cave is is uh essentially when the death star blows up alderaan and then 
uh, they arrive where Alderaan was, and it's not there, but there is a a, a small, small moon. moon. That's no moon. So, I'd like to go back and ask a question then. Please. When I've read these before, test allies and enemies, you're not really supposed to be in any real danger at this point, correct? Correct. Not, it, really? not typically. I kind of feel like test allies and enemies is setting the new, um, the new ordinary the new world. world. Right. Like... It's exactly what it is. Like you're introduced to the enemies. Like for example, when they're hanging out in Moss Eisley, they see stormtroopers. Right. You know, the right. stormtroopers are looking for the droids. There's no, there's no actual conflict that occurs, but there is uh, the possibility. Mm-hmm. You know, they're tested. Okay. What? That's part of the title. What? <laughs> and then they face their ordeal, and the ordeal is. They've got to turn the tractor beam off and they discover oh, the they princess. Right. And they yeah. discover that Princess Leia is there. And so they've got to go get Princess Leia. Um, okay. Could, could the, would the ordeal, all, like, the ordeal could be big. It right. could be several things. Well, the, or, and or, the ordeal is technically the first climax of the film or the story. They all get off the Falcon and they go up to that control room together. Yeah. And then Obi Wan looks around for, to find out where the, the tractor beam is. Yeah. And yeah. and Luke and Han are you know they discover that Princess Leia is there and so when Princess. when Obi Wan leaves that room that's kind of the beginning of the ordeal mm-hmm. uh, okay because and, and when does it up until that moment they're no they're they're really not in any danger correct because they were able to hide they were able to defeat the stormtroopers they encounter very easily right but then everything else that Luke and Han do is very life-threatening, and it feels like he'd go either way at any moment. Right. They have to blast their way out of the detention block. Well, it's because things are literally going wrong. Right. Through the exactly. whole thing, yeah. Uh, and the ordeal in this case ends with uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi dying. Right. And and right. they get out. Okay. All right. And so the reward is they've saved the princess, and they have, mm-hmm. the, death, and they have the Death Star plans. So they have the knowledge to, to blow it up. Right. So that's the reward. Um, the road back is, uh, they go back to the, the rebel base on Yavin 4. Nerd. And right. they, they meet with the rebellion. They give them the Death Star plans. Uh, but along the way, as they're trying to get back, you know, they get, they get, you know, they get attacked by some TIE fighters, right? You know, right. Don't, don't get cocky kid happens there. Yeah, yeah. You know, and so the road, because so the road back is oftentimes, can often be a chase. Right. Know? There's uh, some peril, but it's not the same as before. Exactly, exactly. Would you say the road back is a time that they highlight the skills and, and new things that they've gained during their tests in, in the innermost cave and through the ordeal? I think so, absolutely. Yeah, because this is the moment where you see uh, Luke be very competent for the first time. Like, he's not bad before, but in this moment, he's he's well, extremely competent. He's able to take out the TIE Fighters pretty quickly, by not by himself, but you know what I mean. Right, exactly, exactly. They're at the rebel base. Uh, Luke meets his old friends, you know, who are there, Biggs. And the road back is flying from the Death Star, you know, fighting their way through space to right. to get back to Yavin 4 and then sharing the Death Star plans, right? I would okay. tell you, I would say that the resurrection, the climax actually begins uh, when they all go to their fighters. You know, the climax uh, continues through all of the the starfighter battles and then Han shows back up um, and, uh, and they blow up the death star. 
Okay. And then return with the elixir at the end. Uh, So here's one of the interesting things about Star Wars is that the return to the, with the elixir is quite literally, they jump out of their ship, hug, get an award and the credits roll. (laughs) Um, But it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be long though. Right. Because that's a very powerful moment. Correct. Like, uh, ironically, if you watch revenge of the Sith, the return with the elixir is like 20 minutes long. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> that movie refuses to end. <laughs> well, one of the funny things about the original trilogy, Star, you know, A New Hope, The Empire Strikes Back, and Return of the Jedi, is that those three films are kind of famous for like, George Lucas really believed that the return was the most boring, useless part of a film at that time in his filmmaking career. Blow up, the, blow, up the Death, blow up the Death Star, give them the medals, and roll the credits. Mm-hmm. Everybody wants to go home and talk. He wanted everyone to go home and talk about how awesome it was when the Death Star exploded. He didn't, so he didn't he, want to give them too much time? It wasn't important for people to go home and be like, and then there was an award ceremony, and it was beautiful, and they forgot Chewbacca. <laughs> um, but if you think about like The Empire Strikes Back, same thing. They poke a needle in Luke's uh, little mechanical hand for a second, and then the the Falcon flies away. You know. It, yeah. By the way, uh, with Lando inexplicably wearing Han's clothes, right? Well, that's all it was on the ship. I, I always he found that a little creepy. I, yeah, ship. but you know what? Lando's a little creepy in a good way. He's sexy creepy, but he is a little creepy. <laughs> yeah, uh, and he was just happy to be back with his ship. <laughs> right. Right. Maybe. Those were his clothes this whole time. <gasps> maybe, maybe. Han Every, stole the ship and right? his clothes and his cloak. What a jerk! Yeah. And Return of the Jedi kind of does the same thing. They blow the Death Star up. They show you the three ghosties and they get out. Yep, 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 yep. yep. yep no. <laughs> so, um, so that's you know that's kind of the monomyth structure. Uh, kind of mm-hmm. going through it very quickly with a movie that I think most people know. But um, you know how how do these different steps sort of translate to you know your dungeons and dragons adventure okay i i think one of the first things you need to think about is that like how some of these are metaphorical in star wars and it's not explicitly a resurrection that's the first thing you need to think of right your call to adventure your thing with a mentor it doesn't have to be explicitly somebody shows up and says hey this is the adventure and then there's some old guy who gives you advice Right. Like I you mean, said, it could be a book. It could be anything. But I mean, it could be. It, you know, like also don't feel bad if you have an old man walk into the tavern and put a sign up on the, you know, wanted board. Well, that's, wanted that adventures. Would, that'd be a call to, a literal call to Right. Adventure. I'm saying like, and that's okay too. Like, yeah. don't feel like you have right. to be well, super. Well, tropes are tropes for a reason. Right. And, and in that version, Carrie, the, the ordinary world is you're sitting at the bar drinking. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I'm saying, mm-hmm. I'm telling our, our listeners, don't feel like you have to overcomplicate it. Right. You no. know, like, it is it is okay to Let sometimes just... Yeah, your players will do it. You don't have to. And the truth is, too, like, the refusal of the call. Like, so the ordinary world is they're sitting at a bar, they're drinking. The, the call to adventure is they see that there's a sign that says adventurers wanted. And then they go to answer the, the letter and they're like, well, we're not going to do that for that price. Mm-hmm. And they renegotiate yeah. what the reward is, but even that can be refu- technically be refusing the call. Right. It doesn't have to be a lot, and they don't have to. That's true. They could. It's just not a straight jacket. They have to. 
One of the unique aspects of role-playing games is that everyone is typically inherently already playing a hero. Yeah. And so in most cases, they do want to answer the call to Mm -hmm. adventure. They know that's the game. Right. Like if I say there's a... There's a village under attack, and they're like, well, I don't know. Like, well, that's the game. Yeah. <laughs> that's guess, what we're doing. Now. Let's roll to get you drunk, I guess. Yeah, no. <laughs> so I would say in a game, you know, refusal of the call is probably the one your players will will skip, likely. Yeah. They might. It doesn't matter. <laughs> right. You really have that much. Keep going. Yeah. Again, <laughs> again, we're talking about understanding good storytelling so that you can take these parts of this and apply it to your game. You're not going to apply all of them because players won't do what you want. <laughs> jerks. Those jerks. You know, as far as the meeting with the mentor, there was something, um, one of the things you said about community, how a different person on the table will stand up every week and be like, this is a thing that happened to me in the past. You can use that tool. The mentor can be somebody in the party. Most people have a skill or a lore or something on their sheet that gives them information that the other people don't have. Quite you lit- give them the backstory they need, and then they can mentor the party themselves. Quite literally, meeting the mentor could be roll your intelligence. Does yes. anyone here have common sense? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, we. it's easy to, because it's called meeting the mentor, it's easy to think, well, that's got to be a guy, a, a character, a, a, an old person who's wise. <laughs> Right. But meeting the mentor, like the mentor is really just a thing that clues the heroes into what and how they need to do the thing. And so that could be a person with the information, right? It could be a person with information. It could be a book with information. It could be, they discover an ancient scroll, you know, that says something, or it could even be an item uh, like a, they discover a, a sword, you know? One of my favorite things to do for this is have it be a child. <laughs> yeah. But we'll like, we'll be like, you know, well, you know, maybe they're in the mountain or whatever. You And then just offhandedly say it. Cause then the players are go in the mountain, <laughs> you know, and it's, it's nice. Cause then it's not always like the wise old wizard comes right. up and tells you what to do. And so crossing the threshold, I guess, is when the party leaves their hometown to go off to, to fight the dragon or whatever it is. Right. Right. Um, you know, test allies and enemies could be that combat encounter where you're like, we're going to go fight orcs and here's a orc scouting party. Right. Or it, it could even, the truth is it could even be as simple as just, they run across a random group of cobalts that they just have to kill. There's no real story element to it other than just, it's a test in which they uh, encounter a challenge that represents that the outside world is not safe like home. And it also is a chance for them to get the other, know the other characters in the party. Mm-hmm. Right. Your allies. Yeah. Right. And it's a chance to, to meet, uh, to meet the storyteller, the, the DM NPC. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's a very important step. Right. <laughs> Uh, and, but it's also it's also that p- moment where they uh, they sh- should in theory be encountering for the first time the henchmen, you know the goons of the bad guy. The the they'll get know. some clue where the bad guy drops a piece a pamphlet with the bad guy's number on it or name or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. I like the phone number idea. Just to have the bad guy's phone number. Right. In Dungeons and Dragons. Yes. You found phone numbers do yeah. well. Oh yeah, yeah. absolutely. Look, oh, yeah. don't I'll, judge me. Magic. The internet's big in Pathfinder, hey. so I get it. 
the approach to the innermost cave, that's really like, um, so the approach is like the buildup to that combat. And then the, the ordeal is like that major. It's the reveal of the necromancer. Right. Yeah. Yeah. This could be your mini boss. If you, if you have your adventure structured that way. Right. Right. You know, like the the second in command, maybe. Right. You know, and this should be, honestly, this should be the first truly, truly uh, lethal dangerous threat. Yeah. Um, you know, if, uh, if you were t- in Dungeons and Dragons, this is the combat where the, f- where one of the people dies in your party and they have to take the body back to get them resurrected. <laughs> right. Uh, because that's the road back is they've got to, they've got to haul their buddy back, haul their buddy back to, yeah. to town. Cause they face this challenge. And Oops. you know, if we can resurrect them, they will yeah. be light at the end of this tunnel. And <laughs> the road back. The, the thing where adventurers tend to struggle the most is this road back section because all too often we want to skip straight from ordeal reward straight to the final conflict. Right. The road back is important because the road back should be the moment where, where your players regroup. Mm-hmm. Plan. Yeah. yeah. This is when they go back and they spend their XP to level up. They go back mm-hmm. to to find a weaponsmith to upgrade their weapons. Cause now they have two handed proficiency. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like, their, they got to buy their potions. Right. They have to, yeah. There are the, the road back is really actually very important in a tabletop game uh, because the road back is, I mean, it is that leveling up moment. Like the road back has a mechanical necessity in, in a role. It gives game. them that moment to catch their breath and sort of spin the XP, figure out what they're going to do next. Create the create the magic item. Mm-hmm. Yeah, kind of. It also like... gives you a lot of opportunity for role play. They just went through something yeah. big. They've got to figure out what they're doing and who they are. Uh, you know, the resurrection. They call it the resurrection because it's the moment where your heroes kind of their heroes come back to life in that like uh, literal or that sort of metaphoric sense. They literally so, come back to life. Sometimes they come back. Well, we talked about the guy in the party dying and literally. resurrecting him. Yeah. Uh, but the resurrection is actually like, it's the climax of the story. And it's the moment where like your heroes actually uh, sort of metaphorically spring back to life because they've been, they've hit that like shining moment. You know, they, they get their opportunity to actually go up against the bad guy. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to stop for one second to, to point out that in a long-running campaign uh, or a long-running LARP, um, these 12 steps can become like 30 steps, right? But what happens is you sort of do, uh, <laughs> you do 7, 8, 9, and 10 over and over again. Well, I think one of the things that uh, I, I was talking about with the Dan Harmon story circles is that you should be trying create these circles in like every session to a certain extent you know it's it's about letting them be comfortable and then taking them out of that comfort and then bringing them back each game right because in a way a a like a larp or a D game or you know tabletop game is like a sitcom in a way you want to <laughs> send them out and bring them back each time changed but also the same right even a side quest can have this same structure. So like in the main story of your game, the main campaign, you go through the ordinary world, the call to adventure, he refuses the call, you meet the mentor. 
and you cross the threshold of adventure, you do the test allies and enemies, you approach the innermost cave, and then you have the big ordeal where you uh, you fight the bad guy for the first time, and you kind of, uh, you, you sort of, you know, you get the reward, uh, but you, you know, you're, you have to go back with your tail between your legs, and while you're recovering, you discover that there is this side adventure going on. And suddenly the ordinary world is you're on an adventure already. But the call to adventure is, but there's this lady in the town that could use your help with this other thing. Right. And these steps, these steps kind of all 12 steps kind of happen again within the 12 steps of the campaign. So it's almost instead of it being a circle, it's almost like a coil. (laughs) Kind of. Yeah. But yeah, it should be repeating itself over and over. At different layers. Over and over again. Right. And then we get to this resurrection, which is the major climax. It's the final, the final test, right? Uh, using everything they have, fighting the main bad guy, uh, and then when they finally beat him, you know, they get to go back to the village, and mm-hmm. uh, and get the reward, right? They've saved the princess, so she kisses one of them, or they've, uh, you know, they've got the gold from the dragon, and so they go back, and the mayor's like, "You can keep half." <laughs> That's how the mayor talks. Mm. Huh. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. It's better than Obi-Wan Kenobi. You can keep half. I'm okay with it. Yeah. <laughs> Clearly, this is a uh, gun belt reference. <laughs> <laughs> you know, at this point now, the in a, in a role-playing game, the ordinary world becomes the return. You know, the return is the new ordinary world, mm-hmm. right? Because as you're setting up for the next adventure, you've, you've married the princess, you've got the gold and you're rich, but there's a new sign up at the tavern. Or maybe the kingdom is now faced with some trouble that you've got to help resolve. Or some, maybe somebody stole your princess in gold. <laughs> and then she's in another castle. She's or, not even the first one I went to. Maybe, maybe the prince is kidnapped. Yeah. I was just going to say, I, kept, I started looking at you going, dude, what are you doing? <laughs> so, so that's kind of, so that's the 12 steps. So, I mean, is there anything, that you all have that really kind of sticks out about this. Any other thoughts about how these apply to, to role-playing games? Everything that we're doing right now is really kind of stuck in test allies and enemies because some choices that the characters made kind of derailed what I was originally going to do. Right. And while I've had plenty of adventures for them to go on, they haven't had a purpose and I need to work on that. So I went to film school. Right. So I, I learned when you write a script, you know, before you start, you need to break it into these 12 parts and make sure you, you have, you know, enough, 11, make sure it fits. right. And, yeah. uh, but the interesting thing is that as a, as a dungeon master, as a game master, um, I find that it's easier for me to create the story in my notebook, in my head, whatever, and run a session and then look in hindsight and go, which of these steps did we hit? Right. What do I need to do now? Right. Um, and I found that it, it, it's easier to use it uh, sort of like in hind, as a hindsight tool to make sure that you're providing a, the best story that you possibly can. You know, did they did I give them a call to adventure? I did. They found the the thing that said help me, the note that said help me. Did they did they meet a mentor? Um, you know, maybe they did, or maybe I might even look at it and go, for whatever reason, my my players have just spent three games wandering around the woods doing nothing what's wrong and then i can look back and go oh it's because i never had them meet a mentor they never had somebody give them the piece of the puzzle that said this is where you go right 
Uh, it that's works. something I struggle with because it feels like I'm spoon feeding them something, but that's you literally have to give them the information or they won't have it. Well, this is Carrie's old theory about uh, how intelligent players are. Would you like to share? Not. Wait, which which theory? <laughs> so Carrie always says that uh, players are dumb. Well, they are. <laughs> I, I mean that nicely right. with love in my heart. And you say but, that like when but you like, play. When I'm a player, I'm dumb. Right. Like there, there's like this weird, like we put, we put these like glasses with blinders on when you come, become a player and it doesn't matter how obvious a clue is in front of you. You will just look at it and go, nope, that's just a book. I'm right. not going to open it up. <laughs> and like, there's literally your storyteller will have arrows pointing at the book. You know, it, it, it clue will be written on the book open, please, you know, drink me, whatever. And players just have to be hit with a clue by clue by four, you know, like they just a clue by four. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sometimes you just got to smack them. And I've, you like for real, like there have been times that as a player, I'll be like, what the hell? I don't know what they're trying to get me to do. Right. And then finally, like I'll, I've had storytellers pull me off and go, what is wrong with you? And I'm like, what do you mean? What's wrong with me? Give me a chop. Give, let me roll some dice to figure this out. There's nothing wrong with letting your players mechanically figure things out. Right. Right. Yeah. I, and you know, that, that really, I think reinforces that this, the way that I use this as, as a dungeon master is just, I, if I feel like my players are spinning their wheels, mm-hmm. then I can pull these 12 steps out and look and see what, which one did I miss? Which one am I stuck on? You know, do I need to like, okay, so clearly uh, they, they've went through, they've met their tests, they've met their allies and their enemies, but they don't know where the innermost cave is to get there. So I clearly have to do something to, to point them that way and smack them there. Right. You know, where are they spinning their wheels? Where, where are things not working right and and use it as a tool, um, you know, to analyze what you've already run so you can know what you need to run. Yep. I like that. I like that too. I wrote that. Did you write that? Yeah. Or did you just come up with that just now? Yeah. Just use it right now. No, I no, it actually I, I'm sorry. really is something I've I'm I'm I claim the quote <coughs> players are dumb. Players yeah. players are dumb. Sometimes storytellers well, are dumb too though. That, well, I mean you have to think about it that they're looking through this tiny peephole and all they can see are the words that we've said to them. Yeah, and they they don't have the notes of what the bad guys they really doing in notes. front of them. Right. No, and they don't have like a lot of times in life you have all this stuff in your head and you try to communicate it to somebody and even if you're great at communicating they don't get all of it. They'll never see all of it. Right. So they're only seeing a very, they're seeing a smaller piece of the picture than you are. So that's not to say that they aren't dumb. That's to say that, yes, that's just the nature of it. And yeah, also, yeah. you know, sometimes the player's intelligence can betray the character's intelligence. You know, like yeah. sometimes, uh, sometimes a player can be like, yeah, that looks like a clue, but surely that's not it. There's no yeah. way. There's no way it would be that obvious. That's a trap. I'm they, not doing they that. They wouldn't put an arrow pointing directly at the book I needed. But as a story, as a storyteller, you were just like, I just want you to open the damn book. Please, please. Have <laughs> either of you read the uh, the the game designer's guide to QAnon? <laughs> to QAnon? No. What? Yeah. Okay. So what it's about is why did this conspiracy work? Right. What? If I was designing this as a game designer, what choices would I have made and things like that? But the really big takeaway 
away is the guy it does immersive experiences you know those 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 larps were like lock in a basement or something right right and so his first big game that he writes these characters are literally locked in a basement they've got to figure out certain clues right they got to find the you know the macguffin right and he has this you know like literally flashing arrow pointing at something very obvious this is it over here and the players, like you said, they look at that and they go, nah, that's not it. But what they do is they find when they were making the basement and making it look all dirty and rough, they like put some debris down there, not much, just a little bit. And there were three pieces of wood laying on the ground that if you look straight down at was obviously an arrow pointing at a blank wall. But in reality, and- they were just tossed there and that's how they landed. They were just tossed there, and that's how they landed. And when they stopped them, they were destroyed. They were literally they, – they had a hammer down there, and they had, like, a crowbar that was just, like, random background stuff, and they were uh, demolishing the wall when they stopped them. Wow. Because <laughs> well, they're like, it's behind this block wall. There's nothing here. <laughs> there was uh, – there's this – in San Francisco, there was this kind of famous – uh, immersive experience, uh, secret society, right? There's a, net, there's a documentary on, uh, I think Amazon prime called in light axiom. That's all about it. Uh, but they had this thing where they, you went down this slide and through these secret passages and stuff. And you ended up in this little tiny room, uh, where there is a book on a pedestal. And if you open this book to a certain page, then they use like special effects to make the page, the page animates and tells a story. And when the story's over, the door opens. Okay. But what they discovered was that nobody opened the book. And so people, <laughs> people would stand in this little tiny room freaking out because they couldn't get out. And all they had to do was open the book on the pedestal. And to the designers, they were like, the slide, you come off the slide. It's right and there. And you're pointing, your nose is looking right at it. It's a book on a pedestal. All you have to do is open it. And nobody would open it. And so uh, and so it got to the point where, like, uh, when when you got there, you know, part of the process was you would get there and you would check, check in your, uh, uh, you know, your valuables, mm-hmm. right? And when you checked that in, they would hand you, like, a ticket, the return ticket for your stuff. And written in big letters on the ticket, it said, if you see a book, open it. <laughs> <laughs> and then the but problem you know, then the problem was solved. Sure. They didn't have it. I want to say that from the perspective of a player, right? If I fell down a chute and was in a room with no obvious exits, and there just happens to have a book in it, I'm thinking trap through that book there's got to be a way to get one of these doors open you know? <laughs> right <laughs> maybe i'm going to use this book to batter this door down it certainly is not going to be some weird magical thinking that i flipped through this book and randomly hit a page right so <laughs> all right well let's let's go to game round <laughs> All right. Well, there you go. The final episode of season three. It's all downhill from here. We say that Uh, every season. Episode two. Yeah, that's true. All right. Well, we have some really cool things planned for season four. Of course, there will be a new postcard. Uh, There are some new uh, uh, interactivity opportunities. What? Yeah. Uh, We're going to change up the format a little bit. A little bit. And uh, yeah, it's going to be kind of format this hard drive. 
What? <laughs> what? Format this podcast. We're going to format the hard drive? Yeah. Okay. Oh. Anyway, formatting. It's changing. Yeah, we're going to change up the format a little bit, do some, thing, do some new things, and hopefully, uh, hopefully it'll be cool. And I'm super excited because we have three interviews lined up that are amazing. Yeah. Can we hint to any of them? No. No. Go ahead. Too many of our interviews fall through. <laughs> well, we could we could do this. We, one one is LARP centric. Mm-hmm. One is yeah. mush centric. What? And the other is general game it's actually it's tabletop is it tabletop yeah. all right yeah so it's so super there. cool and but all three are really awesome yeah and so are. we're excited about them so yeah so the good news is this is because this is the last game of the season mm-hmm. um you know at this point you're retiring your characters so there's no need to give you xp i, I do want my magic item though all right can i take it to my next character yeah um we discussed this well you're running the next game so you decide oh crap no <laughs> All right, so you guys both get one XP. Here we go. Uh, Carrie, yeah. you get to the magical item. Ooh, nice. You get knitted mittens. <gasps> I can retire. It's <laughs> true. Let's see what you get on the magic item table. Never, 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 Lose a turn. <laughs> Weird. All right. Nah, well, I'm okay with that. Yeah, it happens. I wasn't going to do anything this turn anyway. <laughs> I mean, 90% of my LARP and tabletop experience is just making the game more chaotic for the other players. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, for those of you just joining us, goodbye. <laughs> we uh, can be found, uh, of course, here. Yeah, we can be found anywhere that you can find uh, podcasts. You know, we're on Spotify and uh Apple Podcasts, and all of those places. Uh, you can, of course, follow us on Twitter, at Honor Roll Podcast. Mm-hmm. We're on Facebook, mm-hmm. at Honor Roll Podcast. You can also join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Honor Roll Podcast. You'll find it. Yeah, you'll find it. Uh, and um, you can go to honorrollpodcast.com. You can send us an email at hosts at honorrollpodcast.com. Uh, if you have any complaints, you can send those to uh, Cameron Pruitt at gmail.com. And what? That was important. People needed to know that. He's my favorite. Mm-hmm. 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 Join us next week when our topic is boring. No, it's season four. Yeah, it is season, season four. four. Yay! I need Yay! a nap. It's been fun, and we will see you uh, for the first episode of season four. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. Cool. Until next time, remember the only way to win a role playing game is to have fun. The only way to win is to have fun with my friends. I'm on a roll again. Tabletop, lot mush, and everything in between. The only way I win is to have fun with my friends. For those of you just joining us, it's over.